G'day, I'm Barry Green. Thanks for joining me on Radio WA 87.6 FM in East Perth and the major southwest coastal towns as we tell the stories of people and places in Western Australia. Our next guest is a West Australian author who has built a career by telling stories based in Western Australia. He's considered the preeminent Australian novelist of his generation and is the author of 29 books. When he's not working on one of his books, plays or films, he's actively involved in campaigning for and supporting a suite of high-profile environmental literacy and social justice non-for-profit organisations. Of course, I'm talking about Tim Winton. G'day, Tim. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm really well. Uh, This conversation was prompted by an article uh, featuring you in the 30th edition of the Weekend Australian magazine. And when you were asked about the significant development in your life in the last 30 years, you said, and I quote, Between 2000 and 2003, as a reluctant activist for WA's Ningaloo Reef, I came to see that ordinary people, properly informed and organised, could overcome the massive imbalance between the rights of the citizen and the influence of the corporate sector. In learning that, I saw how comprehensive the power of the corporation is. I was reluctant because any sensible person would be reluctant. It's a huge investment in time, energy, emotion. And there was a sense in the community that the fix is in, that civil process was rigged against the ordinary person. That made me afraid for our future and for our society. It became a goad, as I had to ask myself, if not me, who? And if not now, when? I learnt that there's more than one way to be a patriot. That's my life lesson, I suppose. A patriot doesn't need a flag and a gun to defend their country. Well, you were successful then, Tim, but now there's a new threat for the reef. Uh, tell us about that. Well, Barry, when I was spending all that time back in the early 2000s fighting for the, the reef, our, our focus really was just on the reef uh, and, to a lesser extent, the, the range. But um, we weren't paying attention to the gulf, which is the uh, Exmouth Gulf, which is um, just um, to uh, the northwest Cape. And um, the Gulf is uh, an incredible, uh, rich waterway, and it's, um, it turns out to be the feeder system for Ningaloo Reef. It's Ningaloo's nursery. It's where so many of the fish and crustaceans and rays and sharks and invertebrates um, begin their life, and then they move on out into the reef and replenish the reef and keep it keep it sustained. And um, sadly, um, well, the happy news is that you know, yeah, we did protect Ningaloo Reef and we were a big part in um, the push to get it uh, listed on the World Heritage Register in 2011, which was a, a great thing, but Exmouth Gulf wasn't um, included uh, on, the, on the World Heritage Register. The IUCN said that it had World Heritage values and should be protected, but um, politically it just wasn't possible to get it included in the, um, in the listing. And that's meant that there's a regulatory gap and uh, Exmouth Gulf doesn't have the kind of um, protections that it should have. And um, with the new LNG gas rush that's um, now taking place on the northwest shelf, there's a big push to industrialise Exmouth Gulf as a support base and essentially as a, as a, as a harbour for um, the oil and gas industry. And uh, the first cab off the rank in that process is a, um, a pipe fabrication plant at um, Heron Point in the southern reaches of of uh, Exmouth Gulf, and that's going to be a 500 hectare facility with 10 kilometres of rail line, 
where they assemble these big gas pipes and then launch them in lengths of 10 kilometres and drag them out across um, the reef and the, the sponges in, uh, at, at, at Heron Point and then drag them up the Gulf and out through the Ningaloo Marine Park, if you don't mind, across the horizon to the uh, oil, uh, oil and gas field. And for, uh, for, for my mind, that's just uh, a disaster waiting to happen. It's the, it's the beginning of a process of, um, of losing uh, Exmouth Gulf as a, as a large, intact, diverse system. And um, if we compromise Exmouth Gulf, eventually we compromise the health of Ningaloo Reef. And, uh, and that's something that we just can't, we just can't um, contemplate happening. And I, I don't think any West Australians who, uh, who take Ningaloo seriously as, as we do because, you know, it's probably the premier tourism icon. Um, it's the biggest ecotourism success story in our state. Why would we put all this at risk for just a temporary gas rush? That's a really good question. I, I sometimes think we're slow learners in Western Australia. We've come out of an iron ore boom and the government's got more debt than we went into it. So, you know, there's, there's all the talk about jobs, and of course jobs are important, but it's uh, the, the longevity of these jobs. No, that's right. I mean, these, these things will be temporary. They always are temporary. And sadly, when we have a boom or a rush, you know, whether it's a gold rush or a, an oil rush, in this instance, a gas rush, you know, people tend to lose their heads a little bit and um, make rash decisions and do things that have um, temporary benefits but permanent consequences. And that's, that's my fear as to what's happening here at some um, uh, at Exmouth Gulf, and you know, yeah, you're right. I think we would have learnt by, um, you know, from what we've been through when we were supposed to be the most prosperous state in the country, and now we're, you know, a mendicant state going cap in hand to the uh, to, to the to the federal government. You know, because we blew it. These things feel permanent, but it turns out that they're temporary. And look, employment is important. You know, we need to be generating um, jobs for, for our young people, but they have to be sustainable jobs and they have to be jobs that are worth doing and that are not doing more damage than good, you know. So, at, you know, in, when it comes to Exmouth Golf, the question we're asking is, what price these jobs? I think that's a really important question. And, and as you mentioned uh, in, in the previous piece that I read, that, uh, that the citizens properly informed and I think um, you know with the commercial media pretty much aligned with these sort of companies and especially with the One West Australian newspaper um, it is hard to get the, the, the right information out there and um, I guess the right information depends on your point of view. Yeah I, I agree and look in, in the end you just ask yourself when someone makes an assertion what's in it for them you know and, and if, it's a, if it's a multinational corporation you know that the assertions they make they're made with their profit in mind, you know. And, you know, there are, there are other people who have an, an alternate view, but they're not getting a benefit from what they're saying, you know. I mean, what's in it for the, the, the poor conservationists saying, what about the Gulf, what about the reef? I mean, how are they benefiting? Um, and, you know, if, you know I, might be, I might be wrong, but I'm not getting paid to be wrong. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting paid to be putting, pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. And, um, so, but yeah, that was my experience with Ningaloo, that, you know, thousands of people were interested in their, um, their own family silver, which, you know, let's remind ourselves, this stuff doesn't belong 
to industry. It doesn't belong to the local shire. It doesn't belong to the local chamber of commerce. You know, the, our natural assets, be that, you know, our coral reefs or our ranges or, our, or the, the gas under the surface of the earth, it, it belongs to the people. And uh, we should be the ones who make decisions. We should have a say in how these things are, are done and how these decisions will affect us in the future. The good thing is that, you know, despite my misgivings about, you know, how pe you know, people are sort of giving up and surrendering and becoming nihilistic, I think we've seen, you know, great changes when people just band together, get organised, get some clean non-commercial information and, um, and do something about it. And, you know, it, if you told me, you know, 30 years ago that you could get 15,000 people to march through the streets of Fremantle for a coral reef 1,500 kilometres away from where they live, I'd say you're mad, you know, but that happened. And 100,000 people across Australia got involved in that campaign. The fact is they haven't gone away. They're not all dead. A lot of them have become parents and grandparents since 2003. And um, they're going to have a view about this. And my hope is that by getting the, the story out there and the word out there about what's going on um, up in Exmouth Gulf, that those people will um, take measures, take steps. I'm sure you're right, and you know we can choose to be optimistic, and we could, or we can choose to be pessimistic. But uh, I, I place a lot of heed in the quote from Mary Mead, anthropologist, that says, "Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, indeed, it is the only thing that ever has." And I, I had a conversation with Dick Smith along this line the other day, and and Dick Smith is a, a mover and shaker, and he made the, the observation that um, you know we're all part of nature. This idea that we can that we can rely on food, energy and, and water without looking after the natural environment is, uh, is, is, is just insane. No, he, and he's right, you know, and uh, we've had, I've had similar conversations with Dick. Usually, well, I mean, I went up in his chopper once. Quite frightening, you know, having a deep <laughs> conversation with a bloke who's flying you over the Harbour Bridge. But, um, yeah, you, well, he's right. We, we live as though we're not connected to nature, as if we don't depend on it. Um, as if there are no consequences to our actions and and we have to learn to do it better. But the fact is we have learned, you know, in, the, in my own lifetime. We stopped whaling, we stopped smoking, we started wearing seatbelts. I mean, there's a quite a long list of things that seemed fixed and permanent when I was a kid that are now gone, you know. It used to be illegal to, you know, have you know attraction to the same sex. Now you can get married to them. And they don't get thrown in jail, you can be married. I mean, these, these, all these social changes just came because people um, thought, you know what, I'm not going to stand for this. We have to, we have to move on. And um, I'm not, by nature, the most optimistic person, but optimism is necessary. If you've got children, or if you've got people that you love in the world, and you've got skin in the game, you think about the consequences of what's happening around the world for them, and you think, well, I'll do whatever I can to improve their chances of a happy and safe life. And that's why I do this stuff, because um, I've had the best of Ningaloo. I've had some of the best of Western Australia. You know, I've lived through great times. I think the people who come after us have a right to have a piece of that. And I, and I just don't see why we should be signing off our family silver to some overseas corporation to, to do something you know, temporary, to make some bucks and move on and leave us with the 
you know, the hole in the ground and the uh, the fumes in the air. I share your sentiments exactly, and you know, I guess the fact is that these decisions are being made by the other side on the other side of the planet with people who have uh, only a commercial interest, no interest in what's left uh, after this, um, and. Uh, I, I share your concerns. I've got grandchildren, and I, I think of, uh, you know, what are we providing for them? But at the same time, as I get optimistic because the internet is sort of changing the ground rules, and while there's a lot of misinformation on the internet, it is providing a free exchange of ideas and information that hasn't existed before. And mm. uh, in my own life, I'm involved in organic farm and and uh, you know there's changes happening in that space and i don't know if you've come across uh, a book called call of the reed warbler a new yeah, Earth, yeah, charles massey, charles massey. Yeah. and uh that is quite profound i've done a, a program based on that and the the, the what charles talks about is a, is an underground revolution he says that the agricultural system's got the way it is because the research has been driven by institutions based their, their research has been predicated on the industrial domain way. We now mm. know there's a better way. But the change simply can't come from the top because the, the, the organisations at the top have built their careers on that sort of approach. And uh, yeah. that's what I believe is happening in organic agriculture. It's a, a, a grassroots bottom-up thing and what Charles calls an underground revolution. Yeah, look, I think, I think it's happening in, in all kinds of... Uh Years and I and I, I think you're right. I think people have, are being the internet is offering um, a space for conversations that you couldn't have otherwise. And and I mean, you know, the Save Ningaloo campaign was the first um, back in 2000 and 2003. It was the first major um, public environmental campaign that used websites. And I think um, it, it was a revolution. Otherwise, we would depend entirely on the local monopoly media and we and, and our experience was that we, we were struggling to get a story up in a conservative media that was aligned with the industrial interests and now people can you can circumvent that you can go around it people can talk directly to one another and you know i, I think it's a terrific thing so yeah there are there are empirical reasons to be hopeful because those who have in the past controlled information and owned information if you own the story you own the history and it's not it's not like that now people, yeah, absolutely. people talk to each other and take action and and i hope they continue to do that i hope that grows because people have had a gutful and um and it's time for change yep from a, a, a tourism point of view, Radio WA is a tourist radio format. We're about encouraging tourism. And, you know, I, I see tourism has a place to play. Tourism's actually giving the natural environment an economic value because if we destroy it, there's no reason to visit these places. No, that's right. And it has, a, it has an educational value as well. Absolutely. People, people you know, just in the, in the instance of Ningaloo, the next mouth Gulf and the Cape Range, people travel a long distance. You know they've made a real commitment to to go there, but the fact is, the the moment you arrive, you start learning. You yep. know you, you you're exposed to things that you don't know about. Around Exmouth, there's, there's you know it's not just people in high vis. There are lots of really bright people that you're going to meet um, who've been drawn to Exmouth not because of um, some industrial job, but because of a research um, commitment or a, or a fascination or a passion with something to do with the natural world. It's amazing who you're going to meet holding a you know, snorkel and a pair of fins on the beach up that way. And um, 
you learn a lot about uh, people and about the, the, the world from tourism and I think the educational value of tourism is underestimated and uh, yeah, you're right, it brings an economic value, it, it produces sustainable jobs and Mingaloo is a great example of, um, and Exmouth is a great example of sustainable ecotourism. It's a beacon really for that um, in this state and tourism has taken a bit of a, a beating in, in recent years just because it's not been properly valued, it probably hasn't been very well managed and I don't think we seriously uh, and properly look or understand, look at and understand the potential for tourism in this country to um, carry us forward. If we're, if we're smart, it's a, you know, it's a part of a, uh, an intelligence-based uh, economy where we're uh, exchanging ideas, yep. where, we're, where we're enlarging our view of the world, you know. And look, you know, to swim with a, a humpback whale, as you know, I've been able to do um, this winter a couple of times, not everybody in the world can do that. I'm aware how, you know, what a privilege it is. But um, to know that there's places in the world that someone can go and do that, it somehow increases our sense of potential and hope. You know, to know that there are places that are still wild and free and full of life, I might get, not get to visit them the way I get to visit Ningaloo, but it makes me it makes me feel hopeful and larger as a person to know that those places still exist. To have everything shut down and buried um, and dug up makes you feel as though um, the world is over. And I think that's a terrible feeling for people to beginning to be beginning to get. You know, we have to give people hope, not just that the you know, and not just social hope either. You know, it's actually physical hope that the, the world's lungs. Um, and, and bloodstream are, uh, are functioning. And if we um, if we're smart, we can we can be a part of keeping you know our system alive. If we're sleepwalking through history the way many of us are, then we're only making you know the death of our planet um, inevitable. And I think that's a tragedy if um, if we let that go. And um, at Radio WA and broadcasting in Perth, we, we aim to encourage. West Australians to explore regional Western Australia and you know Western Australians travel all around the world but we've got so much in Australia and if we if we get out and explore that and come to appreciate it more um, as I say we come from a farming background and I sense that uh, you know food's taken for granted and and it's not until people get out of the maybe say the comforts or of the city to, to start to realise that, uh, you know, the city can't exist without the bush and we've got to have an economically and environmentally sustainable uh, regional communities for the cities to prosper anyway. Yeah, that's right. And we just, and we can't, you know, we can't treat the regions as, you know, as pits and quarries um, and, the, and the people who live in them as drones, you know. We, we need to be interested in what's happening in the regions and to, to learn from it and to support what's happening out there. There are a lot of, you know, really smart, innovative things that are happening outside of um, uh, the metropolitan area and we need to take an interest. We need to give credit where it's due. Absolutely. And and I think it's so important that influence remains here and we, we not overrun. I, I sometimes wonder why we spend billions of dollars on defence and then the foreign companies come in and essentially rape and pillage Western Australia and we really don't get a lot out of it apart from a, a few temporary jobs. Yeah, that's the, 
that, that's the that's the pity of it. But um, look, I, I I think if um, you know, I, I think if people love um, places, then they'll defend them. And um, we have some serious places to love, you know, that are the envy of the world. And um, if we don't defend them, then we're idiots, you know. And as I said in the article that you started the conversation with, you know, there's more than one way to be a patriot. You don't need a tattoo across your forehead and you don't need a gun to call yourself a patriot. If you love a place and you love a community and you'll put yourself between it and any harm that people want to bring to it, then you're a patriot, you know. And I think all of those people who fought for the, the forests in the southwest, people who fought for the Franklin River, the people who've who fought for Ningaloo and who are fighting for uh, the Great Barrier Reef, I think these are our these are our modern patriots, you know, and I think they need some respect. Absolutely, Tim, and thank you for the effort that you're putting into this and uh, you, you're in a unique position to be able to galvanise public opinion and uh, I thank you for doing that. Oh, thanks, Barry. It's, um, you know, as I said, if not me, who? And if not now, when? It just happens to be me and it happens to be now. We're in this time of profound change and, you know, it, it's hard at times not to be pessimistic, but it feels better to be optimistic. Yeah, well, pessimism's just a luxury we can't afford, mate. <laughs> Good on you. Appreciate that, Tim. Thanks, Barry. Good luck, eh? That's WA author Tim Winton talking about Western Australia's Ningaloo Reef and its protection for future generations to enjoy. To listen to this interview and others with West Australians doing great things all over Western Australia, go to radiowa.com.au forward slash conversations WA.